Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. My name is Guru Nishan, and I'm the host of the podcast. At the beginning of every episode, I like to share the intentions for why I started this podcast. Number one, to break the veil of silence that is long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or who have practiced or taught kundalini yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to illuminate the inherent racism, homophobia, cultural appropriation, and exploitation that perpetuates the teachings, 3HO lifestyle, and overall community ethos. Number seven, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number eight, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and lightwashing mentality. Number nine, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number 10, to honor every body that has come through our community, both named and unnamed. And number 11, to encourage people to do their own research, process their own emotions, get somatic therapy and other therapy and support as needed, to draw your own conclusions, and to be critical thinkers rather than to just blindly follow anyone. Your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and to support you. On today's podcast, we actually have Jules Hartley back for a part two. And just as a refresher, she joined 3HO in 2011, changed her name to Amritakar, and actively participated as a kundalini yoga teacher, worked for white tantric yoga, health and humanology, golden bridge yoga, nine treasures yoga, and performed work exchange for KRI, Kundalini Research Institute, and 3HO, and did seva at the Rama Institute, as well as the Guru Ramdas Ashram in LA, through the end of eight, 2018, when she left. You can go back and listen to the previous podcast to be able to really um, get the foundation of her background and the initial story, um, because I feel like on our initial episode, we 
really covered the foundation of how Jules came into 3HO and started practicing yoga and kind of went through what I call the marketing system of, or the marketing funnel of 3HO into Seeky. And it really begins with a yoga class and then solstice. And it continues through the act of seva in any aspect of it. And, and you really painted that picture quite well. So go back and listen to the first episode to really get the foundation. On today, we are uh, having her back for part two to really hone in on um, some more of the details and stories that she has. Um, she really filled in a lot in regards to um, her time at Golden Bridge, uh, Guru Ramdas Ashram in Los Angeles and doing Seva there, uh, Rama and Hari Jiwan and kind of the inner circle he was creating and just kind of these early years where these kind of spawn cults were kind of growing off of uh, 3HO from some of these legacy teachers. And Jules, I know you just have a lot more that you wanted to cover. And so thank you for coming back. Yeah, you're quite welcome. <laughs> thank you for having me back. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, so we wrapped up by you telling us that um, by 2018, you were pretty much um, starting to poke holes, but then by 2020, a lot more came out. And you ended up having being a real strong voice in 2020, really speaking out and, and uh, your voice is out there in, in different platforms for that. But I also know that you spent a lot of time, you really gave us a lot of inside scoop on your time at Golden Bridge and just the, the inner workings, what was happening there, the inner, the teacher training and all of the commitment that you were on a fast track um, into service, seva and growth in kundalini yoga and then that bubble popped so any more that you want to share in terms of from 2018 to, to now um or do you want to really go into um, more of your relationship with your time at nine treasures and tej yeah i think um i think probably a little bit more of the latter because um you know my time since 2018 has been mostly about integrating back into the normal world and what that's looked like. And we can talk about that a bit too. Um, but I think it's important to, there's, there's, there's some things I'd like to address about, you know, just sort of what, what was the glue that kind of held me there in those positions that I had. Uh, and I think a good way to parlay into that would be, I listened back to our recording for the part one. And you had asked me, okay, so were you wearing a turban then? You know, did you take your turban off? And it's, it's such a, you know, that's such a demarcating, you know, I think within this community, I mean, that's such a, that's such a moment, you know, are you still wearing the turban? And, um, you know, I was looking back through some old pictures and remembering I did, I, I ran around with the turban on whenever I could. I lived in an interesting paradigm because it was kind of a dual, I felt like I had a, a dual life. My career was as an actress and as an actress, you're portraying other characters and, and these characters are not in 3HO, none of them are. So none of them are going to be wearing that costume. None of them are going to be wearing that turban. And culturally, women and 
the West, you know, shave our legs and wear makeup and pluck the eyebrows and, and do things like that. So I was always very torn about the, the physical, like, like the manifestation outwardly of what, you know, what I should be doing. To give you an idea, by 2015, 2016, I was doing Panjbanya. I was doing two and a half hour meditations when I could, at least definitely a 31 minute like heavy Kriya and trying to go to a Kundalini yoga class every single day if I could. Wow. So I was very in it, yet yes, there were jobs that I had that I would try to keep cash as much as I could. So, but I would get a job here or there and they'd maybe trim my hair or ask me to shave my legs. They said, you know, you need to come back tomorrow and have your legs shaved. So here no you word. are living, you're, you're saying keep cash. I mean, you're referring to the 5Ks. You're referring to practices of, of the Sikh culture. No? Yes. And that was something that I thought was really beautiful and really wanted to delve into. And we talked about this fast track that I was on. I was ready to take Amrit in 2012, like not even a year in. I was like, I'm going to do this. And that was, I think that was really this influence of that, what is now the Rama group. I, there was this culture within that of just doing that of going all in that you in order to just keep going and get ever higher you know you had to you had to just dive in and do it and what's the next level it, it was just kind of what we did I don't want to say like Harjuvan was like a slave driver but that's kind of the energy that it was it was very much go 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 and it was actually a second gen individual in New Mexico, him, his friends, his brother, they kind of all talked to me and very gently. And it was really a kind thing that they did because they were, they were Sikh. They identified as Sikh. Yeah. They said, somebody pointed out a video to me of like people in India taking Amrit and they were all in their seventies, eighties. They were very, they were much older at the golden temple. And I commented on that. I said, why is everybody who's taking Amrit here old? Like these are old people. I'm used to going, you know, at solstice or at Gurundas Ashram, everybody's young. They're all 28 years older. And they said, well, it's almost more of an honor to your life and how you have lived. And maybe also for them, it's sort of, it's, it's like, look, you know, I, not to quote Yogi Bhajan, but I'm living to die or I understand death is coming. And this is the paradigm within which I live spiritually. This is what I believe. This is, it was, it's, it's just, it's extremely different. It's, um, you know, a, a cultural and then a true spiritual thing that has to relate to, yes, like what your relationship is as a spirit in this world, spirit, whatever. It wasn't a bunch of 20 somethings wearing all white, taking Omrit. That's what I saw. Like I, I realized that it was different. And so I kind of thought, huh. 
And then also somebody pointed out, you're still working as an actress. Do you still want to work as an actress? I said, yeah, that's my career. That's what I do. That's who I am. That's my dream. And in that it was, okay, well, you're probably not going to be able to keep your hair, your body hair. You're not going to be able to have hair down to your knees unless you only play characters like that. And it would have been really cool, you know, had maybe I done some kind of neat period piece or like a Game of Thrones, something where I could have had hair done. But what they're pointing out is that you don't actually have that commitment in your life, but that you were getting caught up in the in the mythology or the fantastical um, pathway to like, this is the next way to grow. And and I want to point out that that you're talking about second gen that that had committed themselves to this lifestyle in their way and and their learning and their coming to you as a, a committed yoga stu- yoga student convert and how common this story is for those of us born in like how much we've seen yoga students come in and then change their life and blah blah blah, blah and, and how this is actually a much larger formula of 3HO and what Yogi Bhajan set as a foundation that I'm hearing you say you got within the the confines and network of Hari Jiwan's influence and that but it really was a much larger influence that had been a set foundation that 3HO to I just heard other stories like yours and I witnessed other students kind of be on this fast track to enlightenment by becoming committed Sikhs and I always ask from 2016 why does the teacher training teach that the fastest way, that the best, highest path is to go from yoga student to becoming a Sikh. Like, why are they conflated? Because one should be able to practice yoga without, and I think that's what you're pointing out, I guess, is like, wow, these students came to you and said, are you sure you want to do this? Have you really thought this through? That kind of thing. There are also, though, okay, so I always felt, I always felt like I said, torn or like I was in this dual life because inwardly and in all my extra, you know, extra work activities, which was most of my time. So what my life looked like then was I would, you know, on average, maybe I was working. I don't know. It depended on the week, but maybe like eight, 12 hours a week. The rest of the time was 3HO and related and yoga. Totally. So, I get it. I get and it. And <laughs> that was almost a hundred percent volunteer work. Mm. I was mm. so broke. I mean, I was just on the edge. I was constantly having to ask my family to spot me this or that amount for rent or asking my dad, can I do more hours of work for your company? Cause I run the financial aspects of his company and more and more over the years, I have done more of that. But saying, you know, like, hey, do you have any reports I could type up? Is there any hours I could put in? I was just always on the edge. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't the only one. We all were. And then then exactly pin in that we all (laughs) were. And historically, we all were right. Like this is a part of the formula. So the fact that in 2011, this is a part of the systems training, right, to kind of create more and more dedication, more and more devotion through this broke state, you know, keep going. So, you know, and I had brought up the fact that I, what I wanted more than anything was to find a relationship with a man and start building a life and a family. And I'm in my late twenties. 
And I remember, so in 2012, Tej, I said to her, I said, you know, can we talk about a few things? I want to talk about, you know, what this means. Cause I really, I, I really want to find a husband. And, and I said the same to Harajiwan because I had noticed that they had kind of done all these kind of arranged marriages. Right. So it was like, Hey guys, you know, make me match. <laughs> Here I am. And so Tish said, well, let's do a counseling session. And others had tried to get me to do, uh, students of Harajiwan had tried to get me to do a counseling session with Harajiwan. Didn't resonate. I didn't, I was like, mm, I don't know. I don't know about that. You know, to sit one-on-one with him. I don't know. Something about it just never. So I never did that. But I did go do this session with Tej. And actually she did not charge me for it. I think at the time she was charging $154 for a session. She claimed she has a master's in psychology, I believe. So I thought, oh, well, she's got a credential. You know, how, how, how weird could this be? <laughs> the first thing she says to me is, well, why don't you just go to New Mexico and marry one of those second gen guys? Okay. You know, she said, well, certainly uh-huh. there's got to be a guy around here somewhere for you. Some, someone who is within your, you know, age, you know, five to 10 years on either end or even older. There's got to be somebody who, who you resonate with. And the fact of the matter was there actually were not that many men around at this. At, I mean, at the solstice, I'd say 80 to 85% of the people there were women. The demographic was more mostly middle-aged women. And then the men who were around who were more my age, a lot of them, a lot of the yogis were, they identified as not being heterosexual. So there was that component to it. And then the ones who were sort of of the second gen. Okay, so most of the second gen, I remember being like, where is this second gen? Because there aren't a whole lot here. There's got to be more. I know all these 60, 70 something year olds have had kids that are my age. Where are they? Where where are they? There's got to be guys. And I remember asking some of the other second gen people and, you know, they all just shrugged their shoulders. I don't know. They just Hmm. don't show up, you know. Well, now we know. <laughs> now we know kind of more, you know, the backstory and, and what what all went on and it, it made more sense. The ones that were left who were following the teachings and being good students, good Sikhs, good, they were all broke as a joke. They didn't have careers. They didn't have money. And to me, seeing that, I was like, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, uh, I don't have money right now. And how, how would we, how would we survive? You know, this person who's, let's say working for SeekNet, you're not going to, you're not having a six figure salary working for SeekNet, let's be honest, <laughs> or working for one of the other, you know, working for this guy's jewelry business, or it's the same story. And I just, I just was like, none of these are suitable partners, even though they are devoted to this lifestyle and it's really beautiful. Like this is not, I'm not looking to build with that. Mm-hmm. So I was in a conundrum, but I wanted to point that out. This is back to the, we're all kind of kept in this financial stuckness. Meanwhile, it's 
chanting all these bonnies, you know, <laughs> prosperity meditations. Okay. And it's always our own, our own, it must be our own thing, you know, and it's fascinating that, that like, I wasn't at any of these solstices that you're talking about, but what I'm, what I want to remember is that you're talking about in 2012 this is just a year in for you and you're already like think about how powerful a system of you know of of devotion and commitment right within one year transformative period and then in 2012 you're already wanting to you know get married and this is now this is a part of your own desire before but it's also a part of the ethos of the community and to look around and to realize really fast that the path is like this and, you know, I think about stories like my sister-in-law or, um, you know, uh, Sagoon, you know, um, just, just different people um, that were yoga students and how fast they moved into that track of devotion, seva, teacher training, change the name, wear a turban, get married, have children, blah, 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 take Amrit, you know, and it's like, you know, and it's like, oh, geez, not too long later. Well, how did I get here? I think another thing that just came into my mind is looking around at those second gens who were left. Yeah. There was, okay. And I've said this before on other podcasts. So we're talking about this. What is the glue? What is it that keeps you there? There is such, and we've touched upon it, such an aspect of guilt and shame. And it was palpable. It was palpable when I was speaking to these people because you're always never, you're, ne you're always never doing enough. And I want to speak to that within my own experience, because there I was trying to wear a turban, every, you know, everywhere, trying to do the, the flowing chuni as much as I could, trying to do the, the bonnies and, and, and all of it, you know, and just never feeling like I was, perfect enough. I'm trying to pull up a picture here to show you what I actually kind of looked like towards the end of my time in 2018, because I, I thought that, you know, I, I was, I thought I was doing pretty well. <laughs> I was like, I was like this, you know, what I, what my, my turban looks nice. <laughs> it's, it's so, yeah, exactly. I, I want to point this out. It's so fascinating to me. I, I started teaching around 2000 and, um, 11 12 right and this is when you're joining and i rem and i remember just being fascinated because you know i i was started teaching for my own reasons and my own unpacking is this a picture yeah i mean that's that's a pretty nice three look at that turban look at that oh, turban that's, that's, that's no yoga nice student huh folks that that's is no yoga student. <laughs> this, is, this is a nice devoted three chose oh woman that could be right out of you know that could be 1970 you know right and then here i am you know reading gurmukhi there i am back up back it up a little bit look at that beautiful picture this yeah. could be like you know again i want to just point out how how a, how a an ethos or a mythology or a system creates this kind of um there I am at a Netflix event with a man who is Punjabi Sikh, but you can see I would wear normal street clothes and a turban. 
I had a turban though. I met so many yoga students like you and, and it made me so fascinated. And I started really looking into watching and this is where I had started getting that terminology. I had come from a network marketing business. So my, my, my <laughs> mess, my, my frame of reference was like, wow, there's a marketing funnel to get people from point A, which is take your first yoga class to over. And I would watch people go and start wearing a turban and then change their name and then get tattoos of Adi Shaktis on the body <laughs> and then put their, and, and I know, you know what I'm talking about, right? And then want to take Amrit and then fly across the country, taking classes and teacher trainings and what you're saying, you know, this, this devotional commitment to brokenness, but as long as you're doing enough sadhana and committing enough and it reminded me so much of what I didn't enjoy as a child, but I, I stayed in it to watch and to witness so that it could deconstruct out of me. But to listen to you tell your story is like parallel this time for me of noticing mm -hmm. yoga students like you be on this fast track, mark, fast track marketing funnel to ultimate devotion and the highest path would be marriage. You know, marriage and having taken yeah, and having and having a, having a child yeah. and having a child, but having taken Amrit, like full devotion into the and so anybody in any community would be like, Oh, what a wonderful student you are, because you've gone the the full way in. What a beautiful Sikh woman, you know. And um, but okay, so along these lines, by by the time those pictures were taken in 2018, I mean you you saw what I looked like. Amazing. Um yeah, but it's like if I show up like that, you know, what what dharmic business isn't going to hire me? You know, that's kind of how I felt because I was like, well, I if I'm going because I because I because I was like, look, if I'm going to give up my acting career or if I'm going to, you know, take Umrit and like move in this direction, which means I won't be able to continue doing acting and modeling because of my hair, eyebrows, legs, etc. Literally because of the hair <laughs> and the makeup, um, then I need to have a I need to have a career path that's within these businesses and that's, you thought that working for one of the companies like would be a financially stable thing like in your mind you thought that would be good I thought if I had maybe a couple jobs yeah sure I could I could make it happen and then and then of course getting married to somebody who's also <laughs> working so this was kind I mean well yeah I mean well, like, I, well, that's the, that's the paint work? that's the painted picture you know I got it yeah <laughs> but what I came up against was nobody would let me in. Nobody would trust me because who was I? I was this yoga student who, okay, she's very devoted. She's done tons of seva. She shows up and she, you know, she's here, but the second gen always were going to be way ahead of me in line at the door. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's nepotism. I completely understand it. But what I'm trying to point out is that I literally had nowhere to go. I mean, and that's why I was saying I was butting my head against that corner. There was no, I couldn't go right. I couldn't go left. I couldn't go up. You know, I was, I was just stuck. And, and you were wanting to take the level three at this point. Oh, I took the level three in 2012. You did. <laughs> So you did level three and that's several years. Isn't that a three-year process of, of, of Seva and, pro and all those kinds of things? 
I did not do the teacher training training track. Hold on one second. I'm going to be right got it. I understand. Okay. So as I was saying, I didn't do the uh, the teachers academy. Was it the Aquarian Teachers Academy? I don't yeah. remember. That's the three. Academy. That's like the level three, according to KRI, which is like this whole Aquarian Academy and all that. So and you, you do the you thousand days different- Yeah. So I basically what I did is I simply attended the level twos and attended the level three, but without the accreditation to move into being a teacher trainer trainer. And the reason was, is because Harji one had said, you don't need to do this. <laughs> He's already starting to create his own system outside of KRI. And remember folks at 2020, they, they seceded and, uh, you know, left the whole, the, you know, the being underneath KRI, but go ahead. So side note there, I would like to point out I know for a fact there were several people who had made formal complaints through EPS about him and what he was doing. They were all ignored. They were all brushed aside. They were all just, nothing came of it. And why? Why? Because he was doing teacher trainings that had hundreds of students particularly now in Russia, Eastern Europe, each one of those, what is the fee that goes to KRI? So he's raking in a certain amount financially for KRI. They're not going to cut him off. So for years, they just continually accepted it. And even though they were getting complaints. Correct. So it wasn't until later that EPS started to actually follow through on some complaints. Oh, they never did. I think it got to a point where Maybe, maybe they started to in 2020 or just because of everything that was going on, the, you know, Harajee one said, look, we, we can't be associated with these people anymore. They're a sinking ship. They're a, a dumpster fire. Let's get out of here. Interesting. But, and I know supposedly EPS, you know, has, has some restructuring that has happened since 2020. So it's like they've never really had it super together and are, are still just trying to get things going and, and put in new systems perhaps, but there's just years and years and years of multiple stories that have never got investigated of multiple different teachers in multiple different countries. Correct. So it's interesting. It's, it's interesting and it's very sad and it's damning. It's, 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 it's beyond, like there are no words for how frustrating that is for all of the voices who were trying to speak up and who went to went into the work and the vulnerability and of going into that share and reaching out for help and then got absolutely nothing. So and no wonder pin a pit in that no wonder it's so hard for a lot of these folks to come forward and tell their story now because it's extremely yeah. painful to tell your story and to have nothing happen to it and have these organizations continually accept money for teacher trainings that a lot of these teachers have proven over and over again from multiple students to be predatory in a multitude of different ways and ha what are students supposed to do if the accountability of the organization supposedly running it has no accountability system. And it's not enough to say, well, EPS is getting restructured. I think the person that was the head of it took a leave and somebody else is in place temporarily for a year. It's like, where is, there, where is their resolution? And this is not new. This is how 
YB handled all predatory patterns that were ever reported is it got brushed under the rug. People got silenced and shamed. People got um, slandered and then kicked out. And, you know, this is a long foundational history of patterns. And what makes anybody think that that calling something EPS and putting some temporary devoted free labor workers, underaged workers as a part of the supposed organization that holds people accountable, that doesn't hold anybody accountable because these teachers continually carry on in predatory ways in the name of Kundalini Research Institute. And, and that's I'm the just, yoga of awareness, by the way. Okay, go yes, ahead. Yes, the yoga of awareness. And, and, and the fastest way to consciousness. And oh, and and it's a householder's yoga. Let's not forget <laughs> because we're integrated in everyday life. And so it's just so important to be, you know, a householder and care for our family. Yeah. And I also, in 2020, I did, I contacted Yoga Alliance because I thought there's got to be some recourse above. And now that this is more there, there's actual written stuff out there, you know, detailing the abuses, there has to be some kind of recourse. And what I found out was that KRI was grandfathered in as something that had sprung up in the 60s or 70s. So it had never actually gone under review or investigation for some reason. And they were up for renewal. I don't know where things stand now, but the fact is that I, because I thought, okay, well now this Rama world has zero recourse. And I'm thinking back and I'm remembering just as we're talking more and more and more students of Hari Jiwan's young, beautiful women who had just moved to LA, who got in, got on this fast track, maybe even took Amrit, were hanging out with him, were holding his hand by his side that just disappeared there one day doing tantric with him and then poof, gone. And we'd be like, what happened to Dave G? What happened to, you know, <laughs> Harnam? What happened to, you know, what happened to these students? What do you think happened? <laughs> Folks, don't forget we're talking about 2011 to 2018. You know, mm-hmm. wow. Okay. So I just... So back to this idea of me not trying to figure out vocationally what I'm doing, because also there's the path of becoming a yoga teacher full-time, which a couple people in LA had done. However, they had done it with the assistance of the community. There's one woman in particular who I'm thinking of who married into the community. And so then kind of got a big boost and a jump and a hand and being kind of propelled forward in the Aquarian Academy and all of that to have those letters or bolster after her name, whatever. There was a couple people like that who really kind of married in, put in their time, really got into the community and were eking out, eking out an existence in Los Angeles. But Still, I think with the help of being in a a marriage, a partnership financially, it's not really, I don't know that it's really possible to be a full-time Kundalini yoga teacher and truly have a thriving, you know, bustling, booming career. 
Gurmukh was doing it, Tej was doing it, Harjiwan was doing it, but they were hustling and they'd been at this for decades and it was a different kind of thing that they'd put together and they kind of got in at a different time foundationally to kind of create that. So what I'm saying is I recognize that that was gonna be a difficult path and I'm trying to figure out what to do. So I had been doing Seva at Golden Bridge Finally, after 15 months of free labor, I had been, you know, asking, 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 can I get hired on as uh, I think they called them front desk managers. And I have to point out that I found out maybe last year or two years ago from somebody else who had been working there at the time that, that the reason that I had not been hired sooner is because they didn't feel like I was committed enough to the position at Golden Bridge because there were times when I had shown up a little bit late. Late for my volunteer <laughs> job to like sweep around the shoes and put the shoes in the cubby hole or make sure that there was enough tea for everybody. Uh, yeah, if I was five minutes late for that, I mean. <laughs> it's your devotion, G. It's about your devotion. Um, okay. <laughs> and while I was in that Seva world, and there was sort of this desperate vying for these coveted front desk positions, mind you, $10 an hour minus taxes, minus federal California and Los Angeles taxes. So after that, you're getting like $6 and 56 cents an hour. It wasn't exactly a very uh, labor heavy job. You know, most of the time we kind of just sat there on the computers and, and kind of just organized stuff. But when there was an event or class, there was an awful lot of work that did have to be done. <sighs> and while I was in that SEVA position, I was bullied. There were people who were higher up in the structure at Golden Bridge who would just come down and be, there's one woman in particular who was so nasty to me. I don't remember exactly, but she like, she, there was like a basket with like some hair ties in it that were being sold in the store that we had there or something. And she just like shoves it at me. And she was like, these aren't organized right, you know? And I was like, uh, okay, I'll organize them, I guess. And I don't remember how she said it, but it was just like, you know, you don't do anything right. Like there was that kind of shaming, guilting, ma making you feel not good about yourself or trying to find that. And I, and I cried, I remember crying. And I remember Tej actually saw me and she knew me because I came to every last one of her classes, of course. And she was like, well, what's going on? And I was like, well, you know, this woman said to me and she's like, and so Tej goes, that's your mother issues right there. You know, that's your mother issues. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Um, mm, mm. Anyway, so I finally get hired on, but right as that whole schism is happening uh, where, with Tej and Hard G1 leaving. Can you hear me with the crows in the background? Yeah, we can hear you just fine. Okay. It's maybe ironic, but I was listening to some Tej recordings because I have 
hundreds of hours of them from these years. I was listening to them yesterday. And in one of the ones I heard, she was talking about the crows and the, when, when there's a flock of crows, like, what does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, and then here's another thing, like, you know, adding extra meaning to things in, in, in a mystical or psychic sense, she would call it. Maybe they're just crows. Maybe the planets are just moving in their orbits. Does it have to mean anything? Does it have to mean that, oh no, it's the dark spirits that are out there, they're coming. This means we need to psychically clear your aura. Mercury is in retrograde and Venus is going into retrograde. That means we have to do the meditation to clear past lovers, whatever, right? <laughs> I don't know. Keep telling us. I, I want to hear it. I'm like, what is going on? 10-10, October 10th is coming up. It's the 10 portal of Guru Gobind Singh. And we're going to expand our aura to be so bright and bring in the warrior energy. Fate, you know. Um, but there was always, there was always some, there was always some reason why we had to be meditating then and there, you know, why it was so dire and so urgent and so necessary for you. Whew. Mm. Mm. Okay. So I'm finally hired on at Golden Bridge. I start to attend Tasia's classes and I didn't want, I mean, I was, I was broke. And I didn't want to be paying for classes at Nine Treasures as well. So there was a woman there who said, oh, okay, well, you can start doing sweeping seva, you know, sweep the floor and she'll let you have, you know, she'll let you attend the class for free at Nine Treasures. So I started doing seva there, which then turned into doing front desk seva for her. And then that turned into teaching some of her classes when she wasn't there and having lunch with her and going over certain things in mind body, because I was learning mind body, the software that we were using to check in the yoga students. I was, I had learned it being at golden bridge. So she was kind of picking my brain and um, getting me to show her the ins and outs and the tricks of mind body. She had a woman who I was becoming friendly with at the time who was doing Seva there at Nine Treasures as well. And that woman had pretty much only ever had relationships with women. I'm gonna shut the doors just so you can hear me because the crows are really loud. So I'm becoming friendly with all the people that are going to Nine Treasures. And, you know, there's this one lady and, and I'm friends with her too. And like I said, she had been somebody who had pursued relationships with women. Mind you, up to this point in my life, I had only ever had boyfriends. I'd only had relationships with men. And I think you know, maybe there was like two times in college where I was at like a very raucous bar party where I had like made out with the girl so that somebody could take a picture of it, you know um but I didn't consider myself gay or you know physically sexually attracted to women or wanting to have an intimate romantic relationship with women I just didn't consider myself that that orientation of sexuality Mind you, I am now a couple of years into this, you know, I haven't had a boyfriend and, you know, I, I am seeking, a, you know, a romantic, intimate relationship in my life. 
So Tej, you know, everything that she would say to us was like, if, if she, if she said something to you, it was, it meant you were so special that you were able to get this pearl of wisdom, this download from the master. And I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, maybe if, if we can, I'll play a couple examples of, of her here that I have as a recording, but I want to point said, out one thing that that is so interesting. In 2011, um, I had come back to Chicago and one of the girls in my sales team, I was selling wellness products at the time, one of these girls in my low grade sales team, she had practiced Kundalini yoga when she lived in LA and got um, all into her teacher and her teacher was also Tej. And I remember mm-hmm. this is before I you know, started teaching. I'd already done teacher training for my own well-being, but I wasn't teaching to others. And um I remember the goo goo gaga nature of her relationship to Tej. Like she loved her. So what you just said made so much sense. It was kind of like people would just be in awe of, of the personal messages that they got directly from their teacher Tej. Well, okay. And I'm, and I'll put my, uh, my story's on pause. So we'll come back to it, but I mean, you can just hear here. So this is her class. Everybody's clapping. Can you hear that? Yeah. Everybody's laughing at everything she's saying. So she's allowing people to talk at the beginning of class, like talk about where they're at, what they're doing. It's building community. This is our family. All right. So everybody, so everybody can know you. All you guys say your name. We'll start with you. And then introducing the new students. Say something special about yourself. Oh, I'm Ginger Bort, and my spiritual name is. My spiritual name is. I've been studying with Tej for a year. My spiritual name is this. Everybody clap. It's so uplifting. I love this community. You know, but this is the because we're all bypassing. We're not actually addressing anything. We're just getting high, high, high on the yoga. And this is pre-class or post-class? This is pre-class. This is pre-class before, say, tuning in, right? It's like everybody's there. She comes on the stage and everybody's sitting there and it's like, ooh. Yeah, and everything she, everything Tej would say, everybody's clapping, laughing. You know, it's, it's just so... It's, oh my gosh, that's so funny. Isn't she cute? And she kind of, I think people put this kind of grandmother persona onto her. You know, the grandmother I never had, you know, the, the wise woman, the, the, the Yoda grandma. And and, and let's remember folks, you know, Tej doesn't carry the, the, the young, skinny, pretty, uh, yoga print, uh, yoga teacher, princess persona. She is a totally different category, right? She's, you know, more frumpy and her turban's kind of like sunken onto her head and she has really thick glasses and it, it is. And yet that, what did you say? It's kind of that wise man, wise woman, Yoda persona. Um, <laughs> and there's some interest. I found it so fascinating to kind of look at the, 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 um, celebrity-like following she had then and obviously still has today. So I'm going to try to find, there was a point, let's see. Okay, I think it was at 8.47 here. Hold on. Okay. 
want to say something? As long as it's short. So just right there, I don't know if you heard that. So the student is like, oh, can I say something? Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. Hear me. Okay. And and so then Tej says, you're very verbal, so you need to be short. So there's these, but see, that's a download. So when As you get you stop. You're referring to language she uses as a download, meaning she got a personal download for that student as if Tej is getting this bit of wisdom and then she's shooting it out to this person. She's saying something, something, you need to keep it short. So she's commanding her based on whatever energy she picked up supposedly. Correct, exactly. And there's another one in here, if I can, if, if I can find it, I'm gonna just pull up this other recording. But what, I, but what I'm trying to point out is, you know, here's a, a very eager student who's so excited to be with her family and community at a nine, you know, 920 in the morning on a Wednesday in LA. Like, oh yes, you know, here I am this huge city, but I've got friends, I've got family, we're gonna feel good together, you know, hold hands, laugh, smile, sat nom. Bypass, bypass, bypass. But <laughs> And, and tying in other mystical, astrological, numero numerological, fantastical stories that create a web of influence and then tie it together with the camaraderie, the introduction, a, felt, a sense of feeling seen, heard, felt, listened to, and then commanded. Yes. Like who doesn't want to be commanded by somebody who sees something in them that they don't see in themselves yet? Good or bad, there's some sort of like a draw, addictive draw of having a teacher see you. And then you're within an ethos of teachings that say there's nothing higher for your soul than to find a teacher. So to have yes. a teacher that can penetrate and see into yes. your fucking soul, like hook, line, and sinker in LA, because she can then weave it on top of all of the other trendy ways that people are fed by their insecurities. And Demi Moore and Belinda Carlisle are sitting right next to you and you know who these people are. And so, and then, and then Tej is saying, Demi is doing so great. She's been doing the meditations with me. Isn't that right? And then, you know, she sits there, doesn't really do anything, but she's like, this is just so great. And we have Belinda, who's so talented, giving her talents to us. We are so lucky, you know, look how special we are. But then, so I, I want to go back to what she said to that woman. That's a, that's like a very small example of it. I haven't listened to all these hundreds of hours to find a, a, a more perhaps potent example. And I probably will. But, you know, here she is saying like, oh, you know, we're such a, we're such a special family. This is Sarah. Sarah, how's your work been going? Great. I just got a new job on a new TV show. Sarah has been doing the 40 day prosperity meditation. L look at Sarah, you know, and, and so, but you see how there's this, this is happening at the beginning of every class. And as you said, being seen, but so she goes to that one student who was like, oh, can I share something? Mind you, every single last one of us in there probably has some major attachment trauma with, with parents, but with mothers, our first caregivers, we we were not seen on some level. That's why we're there. You're you're not in this class if you. <laughs> if that's you... not a powerful download. That's just an obvious. Is what you're trying to say. <laughs> 
No, what I'm trying to say is that there is such a, there's a delicate balance of insecurity that's being preyed upon because I know for myself, major, major, major attachment trauma, major issues being, as you said, seen, recognized, validated. It may be one of the reasons why I went into acting in the first place. And I'm, I'm well aware of this, but there's something within me that, that needed desperately to be seen, Mm -hmm. desperately to be part of something and validated because I didn't get that in the way I needed when I was in my most formative years. Mm -hmm. So this one gal in, in the class is like, Oh, 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 you know, can you see me? And then, and then Tage is like, yes, I see you, but be brief. You know, as, 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 as she said, she said, you need to be short. You know, it was very, she was like, oh, yes. You know, Tasia's like, and we have this and I'm being the cute little grandma, but you need to not say. My-. So there was this like very quick change that she would do. But if you got one of those, like, you know, the, as you said, the, the criticism, the, <laughs> the constructive criticism at best, um, you know, oh, my God, she gave you a download. And everybody would call it a download. Yeah. And everybody would, you know, go to the person, especially if it was a big download <laughs> meaning oh, you got God. yelled at hard you got yelled at so hard <laughs> okay i want to pause pin here because this is so why be the predator yeah. formula all over it and how they've created kind of a mystical attachment to getting yelled at right getting yelled at and bro- broken to pieces in a broken public forum in a yes. public forum not privately and so that's classic why be the predator on repeat. Um, and going back to the point of attachment and the mother, I couldn't agree with you more and how it touches such a raw place, say, in you personally, because you have a story to tell around that. But I would say most of us, if a teacher comes to you and says, that's mother issues, who wouldn't be like, oh, uh, yeah, because we <laughs> all do. And so yeah. you feel seen as if this teacher had some sort of intuitive hit and they're speaking to you. But what Jules pointed out was, no, this is a very collective issue. Most people might have mother issues or father issues or a combination of both because it's called attachment trauma. And so to, to have teachers that act like that's fantastical wisdom and then pedestal themselves and then use tactics like what she's pointing out of softness, switch to penetrating softness, switch to abusive. YB did that and it created an ethos where that became normalized and now it's on hyper predator mode with Tej. Keep going. Okay, I was trying to find... Okay, I'm gonna play this clip. We are in the middle of a class. This is in 2014, leading up to solstice. But you know, it's it's this is in June of 20, 2014 here. So I'm just gonna play this. It, it's probably gonna sound a little fuzzy here, but I'll tell you what she's saying. So she's she's instructing how to get into this meditation. Okay. So she's saying, okay, put your arms out like this. Oh, Wendy, I'm sorry, but I I have to do this. They're telling me that you need to take teacher's training starting in October. Did you catch that? No, that's what she said in the middle of teaching a Korea. Yeah, in the middle of the Korea. Take your left elbow up like this and the right one. Oh, 
Oh, Wendy, I'm so sorry, but they're telling me I have to tell you this. You're supposed to take teacher training starting in they're telling me that you're supposed to take teacher training in October. So this is supposedly a message she's getting from divine people, a direct channel. So Teja set herself up for being a direct channel of, of etheric wisdom that she can channel directly to a student at any given time, even in the middle of a class. Okay, but mind you, this is after another meditation that they've already done for 11 or 22 minutes. Mm. And then she has everybody rock back and forth on their spine, you know, uh, in, in a ball on the ground. And then she's saying, she says, you know, I never knew how much energy could be released through the spine. I remember in the 1970s, I was doing a sadhana at Guru Das Ashram, and I did the rocking back and forth on the spine. And Oh, I just realized how much, how powerful this could be. Okay, now the meditation we're going to do now, it can only be done for 11 minutes. You can't go over 11 minutes. So, you know, it's setting setting this all up and everybody's already spaced out. We're already in a very, you know, altered space, right? Everybody's just high. And so everybody's like, okay, you know, nodding along with the blank eyes. And then she says, Oh, and Wendy, you have to take teacher's training starting in October. They're telling me. I'm getting that right now. And she used to do this thing where it was like, it's coming down through my crown chakra and coming out through my third eye. Oh, like just like that, the L in uh, the Satanama meditation that comes in through the top of your head and out the third eye point, just so we know that the mythology goes back. It's not okay, a new so download is, by Tej. So this is all setting up for... Now, I have been single for a few years and kind of frustrated and desperate on the, you know, that front. And I'm doing Seva at Nine Treasures and I'm working at Golden Bridge. And I don't really have any romantic prospects, you know. And at this point, I'm not thinking I can even date a guy who's outside of the Dharma or outside of the yoga world because how would they understand? We don't have that bridge, so to speak, between understanding of the diet, the lifestyle, what I'm doing, why I'm getting up at, you know, 3.30 in the morning, taking a cold shower, and then doing this meditation every morning, why I'm chanting, why I'm playing this music in my car, why I'm playing this music 24-7 in my apartment, why I'm wearing this costume, why I'm eating this food, why I'm going on this special diet on this special day, why I believe that, you know, this day aligned with the moon, blah, 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 blah. It's too difficult. I was trying to hang out with guys who were not in this and they didn't, they were like, okay, weirdo, you know, <laughs> but meanwhile, somebody in the community is like, yeah, you know, so I'm, I'm seeking within the community for, for a, a personal relationship. Tej says, Jules, you and this woman, you guys are really good together. Now, maybe she was just noticing that we were friendly and that, you know, we had a good rapport because we did. And she was quite a bit older than me, you know, nearly 20 years older than me. And she says, you know, you, you two should, should continue this relationship. You two should get even closer. I approve of this relationship. You know, she would say that to us and she said it repeatedly. Mm. Then she says, you to the to me and this older lady she says you need to move into her apartment and jules at your studio apartment you need to house this woman why because she was struggling financially and she was doing 40 hours of seva a week basically essentially like the backbone for tasia's business tasia doesn't want to lose this person as a you know, save a dar, 
you know, free labor and, and, and the lady needs a place to stay so she can Airbnb her place to make money. So she, so Tage says, they're telling me, she took us out to lunch one day, the three of us, it's just the three of us. And she says, and I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't think this is a really good idea. I don't think that this is going to work out, you know, for this reason and this reason, you know, already I can see that we're having difficulties, you know, in this regard, like me and this woman. And Tej says, no, you have to have her live with you. They're telling me, Gromdas is telling me, he's telling me, meaning Yogi Bhajan, this is your destiny. Don't you blow your destiny by not doing this. She has to live with you. And, and that's how she would yell. Literally, I'm doing a, an acting of, a reenacting of her. And you don't argue with that. You don't argue with Yogi Bhajan, Gurumdas, and your teacher telling you that this has to happen. Wow. Um, and this woman wants so to have a physical, romantic, um, sexual relationship with me. But you're not yet in relationship we began right then to have okay. a physical relationship together. But at that point, that hadn't happened. And Tej is, let me reiterate, Tej is telling you that this woman who was already volunteering 40, time, 40 hours a week needed to move out of her house so she could Airbnb it and make money because it was like a bigger home and move into your place, which was a studio apartment. And you're being commanded that that's your destiny and to have a relationship with this woman. She had started to say, you guys are good together. You should have a, you know, yep, she never said you guys need to have sex together. She wasn't explicit like that. I understand. But we were approved to be together is what I'm saying. This is important for a few reasons. First of all, Yogi Bhajan's teachings, it is so perverted and so whatever, just like, bad, wrong for men to be having sex with each other. However, women, women are supposed to have sex with each other. There's no problem with that. He's having his secretaries sleep with each other for various. Right, we, we know that in 2020, but at this time you're with Tej, that wasn't the case. Was not the case. However, I went on the internet and, you know, I'm trying to find, uh, there was the library of the teaching. So I'm trying to find anything that says lesbian, right? You know, like, what does Yogi Bhajan say about this? Like, is this okay? Because I'm starting, I'm, I am like, okay, you know, I could be in a romantic relationship with this woman. This can work for me. Like, maybe this is my destiny. Maybe I, maybe this is, you know, there's wow. plenty of people who are gay around here. And, and, and sure, like, this is, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. I mean, I always wanted to have a husband and have kids, but you know, maybe this is, we can adopt. I don't know, whatever. Maybe this is where I'm supposed to be. My teacher's saying, this is how you're supposed to be living and what's supposed to be happening. And you so just go, got yelled out with that. And, and also that's its own trauma. So, well, right. <laughs> but, but she, but she would do that. You know, she would yell at me and, and it was, and that yelling. is a download. So you're and supposed that, to feel happy about it as if you just got a healthy lesson and that was good love. And that you're special enough that she can yell at you. Mm, special enough that she, you could, she could yell at you. Does that not sound historical? So 
but what I'm trying to say is I think I was already in this paradigm of feeling guilty and ashamed that I can't follow Kesh to, you know, an nth degree, that I'm not, you know, enough in with the community that I can get one of these, you know, better jobs with, with a Dharmic business. And I'm trying to find my way. And, and now this is laid on me. So anyway, I go onto the internet because I'm resourceful. I'm a researcher and I had already found that wacko world of Yogi Bhajan forum. And I had been told by Tej and Hardy G1 multiple times that these were the crazy people who had done way too much acid in the sixties or seventies. And that's why they left because they couldn't handle the, the intensity of the yoga. They were, they really were wacko and the name didn't help to sell what the forums were saying. But I did find in one of the one of the forum streams, you know, one of the chat threads, somebody had said, well, all of us, you know, all of the women, you know, ladies camp and, and, and onwards, all the women, we were all sleeping with each other anyway. All the women were sleeping, that, something to that effect. So I read that and I thought, oh, okay, so this was part of Yogi Bhajan's women's camp. This is part of the culture. This is this is this is something that happens within the community. However, I felt extremely ashamed and guilty because then I'm taking this woman who I am now in a, a romantic relationship with. We go to the Gurdwara and all of a sudden I realize I cannot introduce her as my girlfriend because Sikhi, Sikhs don't recognize same-sex marriage. We, it's not like we could get married in the Gurdwara, you know, that, he, heaven forbid, you know, because you don't at this point, you at this point, you don't know the long history of like lesbians being kicked I don't know out anything. or being broken apart in in. in by YB and how heteronormative 3HO is and stuff like that. Well, I'm recognizing how heteronormative 3HO is. That's what I'm saying. I'm recognizing that that I cannot be openly gay here and still be part of this sort of like core of the Dharma. That that's not something that would be possible. However, there were spawn cults with Tej. Obviously, she's condoning it. So that had a different air and energy about it. But she didn't, she, she wasn't open. So Tej also struggled with the, the, the gay aspect and, you know, whether that's, that's something within her or culturally or just what, but I mean, she used to say things in class, like, um, well, my daughter says, you know, cause her daughter is just a couple of years younger than me that, you know, a, a girl will have a, a relationship with a boy and then with a girl and then flip-flop back to a relationship with a boy. That's what these young people are doing these days. <laughs> like, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't understand why a woman would want to have a relationship with a woman. But meanwhile, I'm sorry, but Tej is sort of, and how she's teaching even, which is the Yoki Bhajan way, is is a very good example of how these ladies camp trainings, teachings, the the whole system, it's turning women into this sort of ultimate masculine warrior type. And the men are softened and almost turned into women. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) So. (laughs) Mic drop. And, and, and so I'm sitting there and getting this, this, you know, Tej energy, this, you know, she's teaching these ladies camp Kriyas all the time or or the lady camp sets. And, 
Um, so there's, it was really speaking to this very young sort of aspect of myself. So I'm identifying with that and this moving through the world as a warrior. And this is, you know, I'm da da da. And, and, and that's very, I mean, it, it is, it's very sort of masculine. And I, I, I'm like, okay, victory, I can do this. I'm strong. I'm a strong, you know, and, and I thought, okay, well, this, this kind of ties into this whole idea of maybe finding a partner who's a bit more yin and it, what I'm saying is it was all sort of in between the lines. And the more I got involved with white tantric yoga, oddly enough, the more it all seemed to make sense. This, okay, women can sleep with women kind of thing. And this is natural. And this is part of tantrically, maybe this is part of, of, of moving energy and whatever. Somehow it just all, it all just seemed to fit in. So relationship with that woman did not work out. I mean, maybe we had a physical relationship for a oh, six, 12 weeks at best. But she did move into your apartment? She did move into my apartment and she stayed there for a year. During this year, we did a whole lot of Seva for Tej together. And, <laughs> and that involved, I had already started helping Tej to do what was known as the facilitator Seva for white tantric yoga. So that means spending days and weeks planning for the facilitator and making the facilitator comfortable so that on the day, the facilitator can be the most pampered and the most taken care of. And, and, you know, we're serving food on Yogi Bhajan's, you know, very sacred China. And we have these artifacts from Yogi Bhajan, you know, his, the picture of Garamnas that he had, the vase that he had and putting flowers in that you know, whatever these, these things. And that this is the tantric equipment for, for white tantric yoga LA and, you know, and, and the facilitator, you know, we, we, we bow at the facilitator's feet, maybe not literally, but energetically, you know, you are catering, you're running around, you're getting up at two in the morning to get ready to, you know, start this day for the facilitator. So I'm starting to get funneled into this seva and I do have to say that when I was doing all this meditation and all this yoga, my intuition was very sharp, you know, whether you want to call that being psychic or, or what, but I mean, I was meditating a lot. And I do think that anybody who kind of meditates on that level and, and really like hones and pays attention, you know, could maybe be what you maybe want to call psychic. I look at it as the information is already there. It's just a matter of being able to have enough of almost like a space to be able to like see it and put the pieces together. A very sort of simple example is like there was a woman who, and then I'm meditating a lot at this time. And she kind of came up to me and started talking to me about this breakup that she'd recently gone through. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, she's been eating a lot of ice cream. And it seems to come out of nowhere, right? However, the subtle things, there was kind of a, a different smell on her breath. There was sort of a different, I could tell that, you know, just by the, the tone of her voice that there was a little bit of um, kind of inflammation in her sinuses. 
Um, she maybe had like, I could tell that there was sugar in her system because the way she smelled and these are like really subtle things. So it's not that I'm necessarily like psychic, like you ate a tub of Ben and Jerry's last night, which she had, cause I asked her and she's like, yeah, but, but you could tell. So, and then was I was this, all- what are, are, was this question on this? Cause it could be totally in the field, but like information like that that's a, you know, it could say intuition of your own. Like we all could be perceptive in different ways or pick up information about other people in different ways. But what I find interesting about the way that I discovered Kundalini yoga taught me how to do that with other people and call it kind of my own intuitive hit was on one level, it was a form of kind of like, and again, I'm not saying this is resonant for you, but I'm curious. What did it matter if she ate? a tub of ice cream. I mean, it did go against lifestyle. So it's a form of you knowing information about her. And I'm not saying this is what you were doing, but it's one of the ways I found my intuition twisted up in relation to what I had been trained in Kundalini yoga is I used my perceptive intuitive hits as a way to judge others because I wasn't actually feeling me. And so it was actually a deflection mechanism that allowed me to use my perceptiveness and awareness as a form of judgment and shame to others as a way to bolster my own because I wasn't feeling myself. Oh, I'm just letting that land. Yeah. We, were, we were taught to judge. The whole system is all about judgment. And that's what I'm saying because in that judgment, somebody is not good enough. Somebody's wrong. Somebody's an outsider. You're, you're, you're drawing that line. I'm just saying that woman had ice cream. It is not, it is neither good nor bad. I'm, and if, and if there was a judgment that came out in me, then that was, that's, you know, that's, that's my own. And maybe that was because I was in that, that mind space. And you're practicing what the teachers are wielding. So it's not just in you, even though that's what we're taught to think it is as a teacher, but rather we're, we're, emulating and modeling teachers that are doing that as deflection of their own feelings and then using their perception to command and tell other people what to do. It's such a fascinating thing because I think it perpetuates unconsciously. We don't even know we're doing it and we carry it on as the new generation of teachers. And it's an important one for all of us to hear because this this stuff is built into the teachings. And when you, and this is classic cult 101, if you read some of the books, you know, like terror, love and brainwashing, you get to hear how this is classic maneuvering that creates a double bind in the consciousness. And so it's, it's bound and bounded choice and you're disorganized and you're emulating things you don't even know. And then you actually become the inner tyrant where you're gaslighting yourself because then the teacher doesn't actually have to do it because that teacher voice is in your head and you think it's your intuition and it's actually a, an inner tyranny that got implanted as a, as a way to self, you know, as a way to control, right? Like powerful what you're sharing. Keep going. And I hope that listeners will replay everything that Gurunishan just said, because that's, that that's that's pretty dense and incredibly important but it 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 illustrates exactly where i was at at that time and so i have this compounded shame of now thinking i'm gay believing that this is my destiny and not being able to be recognized in that 
from the Sikh or Gurdwara arm of things, the Dharmic branch of things. So feeling this incredible inner conflict Mm. and that, what do you do with that? Well, you just meditate more, you do more yoga, you do more seva, and you bow to the guru more and more and more and more. And, you know, the answers will come. You're, you're in your highest destiny. So, but then I'm feeling like there must be something wrong with me because this isn't recognized somehow. Why am I different? I, a lot of shame. I'm feeling a lot of shame. And, and I know that this is, this is just part of, you know, 2020 kind of broke things open. The last few years have broken things open. Once gay marriage was recognized federally, you know, that kind of broke things open. But this is prior to all of that um, in our, in our, yeah. So I'm blown away. I'm blown away by I'm, the convolution and the inner bind. But I'm, what I'm saying is I'm tapping into sort of all this kind of ultimate shame at this point, And I'm really tied in really tight in. So I don't remember. Pause, pause. You're also tapping in whether at what year is this again? 2016? 14. 2014. So I want to just say that on some sort of an energetic etheric level, you're tapping into a community ethos that YB had created around himself of sadistic, horrible, manipulative, coerced lesbianism Yes. In a culture that he actively kicked people out and abused people for the choice of being gay. And this is her lived experience in 2014 on a secret history. And so everyone listening who never is told their story and just quietly left away in your lesbian or or gay relationship or got abused and never got to tell your story until 2020, including my uncle, including including Mitty Pitty, including all whoever else she's going through this in 2014 in this convoluted state having no idea this is the history of the ethos of the community not a clue called the three ho Kulsa, the pure ones the righteous ones go ahead but i think it illustrates exactly that this is the ethos it's in between the lines it's there it it's doesn't there. matter it's still it's like, there it's like the mantra playing in the room it's the energetic frequency that's happening. It's the exact reason why we were told to play mantra. It's that same frequency happening, but you don't necessarily know what it mm. is because the history hasn't been talked about and it's a, co- a community committed to silence more than yes. anything and secrecy out of protection for each other. But remember, when you break open and you tell your story, you're freeing somebody else. Keep going. So yes, to all, I mean, to everybody who who felt the same feelings and who felt ostracized or, you know, really just frustrated. Why can't we get married in the Gurdwara? Whatever, you know. To all of you who got kicked out in the 70s and 80s and 90s and 2000s and then 2010s and then into 2020 that were lesbian or gay and not publicly recognized, not honored and actually abused and slandered to all the relationships that got broken up because you were lesbian and instead Yogi Bhajan married you off to other people and forced you into his own concubineship because he said lesbianism wasn't right. Like, hmm, the hypocrisy is sick. But as we know, 
he was having his secretaries, he was making them sleep with each other. Meanwhile, and then chewing on their labia at that. And having them have sex in front, you know, group sex or in sex, you know, sex. Harem sex, group sex. With each other. We were so indoctrinated out of. Right. And, and so, but again, I mean, this is just this ultimate power and control play of, you know, secrecy and shame and, and okay. So here's the thing. You don't have sex outside of marriage. You know, this is the other thing. Like I would have had to have been engaged to a guy to even like really start, you know, being able to make out with, with them within the community. Which, which is like, you know, so, so there was that too, you know, and, and, and like I said, I was still kind of looking at this point, (laughs) you know, so confusing, so so confusing. Anyway, so during all of this, you know, I am, I mean, I literally, there were mornings when I got up at 1.45 to start the seva for some morning sadhana that, that Tej would be having because I was in charge of bringing the cake for Guru Ramdas's birthday, or I was in charge of making sure that we had a printout of the hookum from the Golden Temple for that day so that it could be read, you know, at the end of the Satnams, whatnot, right? And so, but I'm doing all this seva and and not sleeping and just completely immersed in this reality. And so I think it was like, uh, maybe it was a Guru Ramdas birthday. I don't remember the exact timeline, but in my life, I kind of tend to have like a three strikes, you're out. I always just sort of have like the first time it's like, okay, making note of this, but you know, maybe, maybe we aren't a vibe for whatever set of reasons. Second time, it's like, oh, snap, now you're repeating yourself. You got one more, tr- one more chance. And then third time, it's like, okay, this is a pattern. This is never going to change. I, I, don't need to have any business with this individual. That's kind of just how I've always it's just been a policy. Sometimes people are out on the first strike, but <laughs> this is my teacher. This is my life. I mean, this is my entire paradigm within which I'm living, the way I'm seeing the world at this point. Hmm. And it was one of these events where I was supposed to be bringing the prashad or the napkins or something, you know, I was in charge of making the tea, you know, because I would, I'd make like a huge, you know, three or four gallons of tea for the 150 people that were showing up to whatever class she had. So, I, you know, I'm doing all this work for free and I did something wrong. I don't remember what it was. I forgot to bring the right kind of knife or I forgot to bring the right kind of napkin or something. So there's, you know, 150, 200 people there at this class, at this workshop, at this event. And it's, Jules, how could you forget to bring that? You're so stupid. You're so stupid. You're such an idiot. How could you be so dumb to forget something like that? And in the public forum, you know, and that was just, you know, cause I was trying so hard to be so perfect with my perfect turban and my perfect outfit. And I'm living with so much of this shame about the fact that I had plucked my eyebrows or shaved my legs or had to trim my hair for this job. And the fact that I, you know, had had sex with a woman and what am I even doing? <laughs> and I'm wow. struggling, I'm broke, I don't have it, you know, whatever, like all of this. And it just, that hits hard from the person that you're conflating with, you know, 
God, God. your channel into, you know, connecting with oneness. But in my case, also attachment trauma with my own mother. Mm. So, I mean, this is a wound that I have that, you know, goes back to maybe even in utero. Mm. So I'm devastated. However, the other students, you know, I bring it up to somebody like, yeah, she yelled at me. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm crying. I'm so upset. Like, I don't know. This doesn't feel right. Me, I'm saying, I don't know. This doesn't feel right, you know, and saying I have an issue with this. But then everybody else around me saying, oh my God, you're so lucky. She gave you such a big download, you know, to tell you you're so stupid. That's amazing. <laughs> Lord. Oh my Lord. But me feeling like, you know, the paperclip is being bent really hard right now in the wrong direction. And so I'm like, okay, but I come back. Mm. I come back. You know, the, the, the cat's coming back the very next day. And then, you know, we're going along and then there's another incident. I think, I think this one, I, there was a climate control system in her studio. Well, it was this studio that she was renting. It was actually like a karate dojo that she was renting on, on the Sunset Strip at Sunset and Laurel, which is a very sort of central location in West Hollywood. And which was part of the reason why she was able to get such a big draw of, you know, more celebrities were always coming and, you know, so so-and-so would show up at the class. Like, uh, you know, all these sort of washed up singers from the 80s were always appearing. Sometimes they were producers, sometimes they were actors. And anyway, sometimes they were rock stars. You know, it was it was a it was an interesting, you know, and, and if you got to do like front desk check in, you'd be like, oh, my God, did you see she came in? You know, um, so anyway, you know, I, I keep going. This is my sort of lifeline into the yoga and I want to get the downloads and I want to do the powerful meditation and I want to be with the big group energy. And this is close to where I live enough. You know, I don't have to go all the way to the West side where they were doing their teacher training things, the Haraji one and, and her anyway, or the Rama world at this point. So there was a climate control system and it was like, you know, it was muggy. It was swampy. Something wasn't, you know, the thing was off. It wasn't at the right level. Tej had not arrived yet to the class and we were like setting things up. So I, touch the thing. And I say, okay, let's put it on 72 degrees or 68 degrees or something like that. Like it, let's get the place cooled down. And it was a finicky thing. It had probably been there since the late seventies or the early eighties. You know, the whole system was very outdated. And I think there was something where you had to like turn a wheel and hit a button and switch a lever for it to go on. Or you, there was, there was a very specific way you had to do it. I didn't know that necessarily. I was just trying to get it on the right temperature. Anyway, it wasn't the right temperature for Tej when she came in, whether it was still too hot or at this point it was too cold. And it was, Jules, how could you be such an idiot? You're so stupid. You're so dumb. You know, and, and whatever other, uh, and she would, she would curse too, like, you're such a fucking idiot. Whatever the, whatever the thing was that she put on me, but it was, mm. you know, Oh, and you're an egomaniac. You're an egomaniac to think that you, you alone could turn the air conditioning on. How dare you? You know, like you making this decision, you're an egomaniac. And, Whoa. you know, that's like kind of a big blow because, <laughs> you know, we're doing years of meditation to kind of 
eradicate the ego. Eradicate. Hello, daily ego eradicator. <laughs> it's like the ultimate insult to say you're an ego maniac, right? In a world that everybody's acting so like they're 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 so humble, even though they're all living egomaniacs. Let alone the hundreds, if not thousands of hours of me cooking gallons of food for all these people and making a special gluten-free vegan prashad or making- Well, I mean, you're going into the details of all the service you've given, you know? It's like what really is happening as a power play of building people up and then tearing them down and building them up and tearing them down. And when this is done in a public forum, the shame sets in, the the guilt, right? Everything that, that you've touched on. But once again, folks, you know, listen to how Tej is delivering it. It's very much why be predator formula on repeat. Anybody who, you know, grew up in the 80s, 90s and experienced him directly knows that this is just a, a normal staple of public life around YB and it was purposeful and people did goo goo gaga around those people and said, how blessed you are that YB yelled at you like that, you know? And you're like, but that became a normal ethos. Shame became a normal part of living. And I mentioned it last time, this revolving door of the yes. Tate Davidars, the people who were like her right-hand person. Mm. And so over time, I'm recognizing that what happens is the pattern is they get really close to her. She does this like, you know, push back yelling thing with them mm. and then they can't take it anymore and they leave. And that, that was the pattern. And I started to recognize that. And Mm -hmm. After this sort of second strike, as it were, I remember I came down to my parents. We have a guest house here. And okay, prior to that, though, so on the day, on the morning that this happened, I was devastated. And I left, you know, I left the studio and I, I went back to my apartment and I, I, at this time I had my mattress on the floor so that it could be facing east and west. So I could be sleeping with the sunrise, not north, south with the, you know, against the electromagnetic, because that's what you do. <laughs> so I laid down on my mattress on the floor and I couldn't move for hours. And then I started vomiting just vomiting. And then I also had, you know, out the other end as well, I was having really bad diarrhea and it was like, energetically, I was so sick. My enteric nervous system was so disrupted. And this went on for probably about a day. And then I was so distraught. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't work. I couldn't, you know, go back to her class. Like, I, I just didn't know what to do. So I came down here for five days kind of reset myself, did a bunch of meditations out of a bunch of old yoga books and came back and was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to get on board on the Tage train again. And that went on for a few more months. And then the final straw was when this woman who was living with me uh, one morning, I was running a little bit late to the class. And I think it was like a full moon eclipse meditation or something. But she saved a seat for me next to her near the front of the class, put my yoga mat and, and my sheepskin and my meditation pillow down next to her. And she had gone to Starbucks to get an iced tea, that uh, hibiscus iced tea that they have. They call it passion, but it's pink. It's a red color. And so she got one of those from Starbucks and put it at the front of my mat for me. I'm a little bit late. The class has kind of already started. I sort of slip in and sit down. And then I'm like, oh, thank you. You know, this is amazing. This drink. Yes, this is just what I need. It's a hot day. I'm thirsty. So I have a little bit of the drink. Tej is, you know, in the middle of talking or instructing or whatever, you know, and then and I just take a sip and all of a sudden it's 
How could you be so dumb to have a red drink? What is this red drink you have in the front of my class? And I'm like, you know, (laughs) so I set it back down on the corner of my mat. Like, okay, I won't be drinking a red drink in your class, I guess. But, you know, and then she goes, don't put it there. Are you stupid? Don't put it on your mat. And I'm like, okay. So then I put it at the corner of her stage. You know, she has this little platform that she's sitting on that we would set up and it had like wooden legs. And I thought, okay, if it's kind of sequestered under and behind the corner of the, you know, nobody could kick it. It's kind of sheltered by the leg of the stage. And she goes, don't put it there. Like, are you an idiot? You're an egomaniac. How could you, what are you doing making these decisions? And then she says to another student, you know, can you deal with this drink? Because Jules obviously doesn't know how to. And, and this is in front of this class of 200 people that's there. And, and that was it for me. I just, I, I, I was like, no, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna withstand this amount of abuse anymore. This is abusive. This is stupid and abusive. And what the hell am I doing? And that was it. And I never went back after that. I cried and I actually left maybe to half her class. To class. To her class. I think I tried to come back one or once or twice after that, but it just wasn't. God. It was done. It was broken. The paperclip bent, bent, snapped off. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm terrified in your reenactment of it. I can only imagine in a public space, her on the teacher stage, on the sheepskin you know, looking all royal and regal um, and in teacher mode. And that happened, you know, it's like, it, it pains me to feel it. And in the teacher training, she would do that too. She would single somebody out, you know, there'd be 200 people there at their teacher training workshop, her and her G1. And, you know, she'd say, I'm just gonna use the name Sarah because there were a lot of Sarahs there, but, you know, she'd say, Sarah, all you care about is whatever color glasses you're wearing today or this week. You need to wear more white. You never want to wear white. Why don't you ever want to wear white? You're never going to get anywhere as a yoga student. You might as well just leave this community, you know, things like that. But in front of everybody, you know, and and this is an artist, this is Hollywood. So this is some artist who works in the entertainment industry who, yeah, has some really cool glasses that maybe have like cool frames and they like to rotate out their glasses as part of their style and their look and they work in art departments and that's just who they are. (laughs) And and all the reasons in between. And I want to point out that the culture of the Saturn teacher that is perpetuated in the teachings as a way to justify this level of abusive and coercive and manipulative yelling that YB routinely did in every lecture, in every ladies camp, in every teacher training. And then his teachers repeated a lot of these methodologies and styles in the name of Saturn teaching. So it's so potent for you to share this to me because again, we're talking 2014, 15, 16, you know, we're talking about, think about how that repetitive that formula is on full display in a completely different setting but not so for anybody who has experienced this Saturn teacher stuff again you're not alone (laughs) we all we all did I think everybody had the same shared experience of it 
and in unique ways, in ways that are distorted. So they aren't always the exact same way, but they're similar distortions that create a similar effect. And different teachers, because they were unique students of YB, took on these personality traits of his and passed it on into their unique teaching style. So it's important to know that, again, it can show up in Europe a little bit differently than it shows up in Mexico, than it shows up in South Africa or in other United States spaces, or even in you know, China or, or, or any of it. But just know that the lineages are what I like to call the spawn cults, the teachers that then create a whole new demographic of following. They're taking these same initial formulas of their abuse and passing it on as if it's a beautiful part of the teachings when really the whole teacher training system calls it the Saturn, Saturn teacher. Keep going. I'm shaking my head. <laughs> I mean, I'm shaking my head it's like, yeah. Um, and then, so at this point, there's nothing more devastating than to be cut off from your teacher. So I'm now kind of in this lost and devastated mode, but I had my Gurdwara community and I still had the Harijiwan Rama community on the West side. And I still had my Golden Bridge community. Golden Bridge closed, I want to say maybe it was the end of 2015, Golden Bridge Hollywood. Financially, they couldn't make it without the population of students that Tejan Harijiwan had brought in. Wow. And Gurmukh and Guru Shabad were not there to build anymore because they were traveling all the time and they still had a golden bridge on the west side golden bridge santa monica and i was peripherally involved there i was teaching there maybe a few times a week so but that was a much smaller operation that was being run by their daughter wa who i don't know i don't think she really wanted to be running a yoga studio i think she had other things she wanted to be involved with but it was kind of given to her her parents were like here you know you can do this anyway that business went under her and her husband were trying to run it but again they just didn't have the, the draw the population because everybody was going to the rama and then the harju and Tej teacher training thing and I, feel- I want everyone to know that it's also because there's a gugu gaga system going on around legacy teachers so i remember really tuning into this around 2014 15 16 and you know there there ended up being kind of a mythology built around anybody who was a senior or what they called legacy teachers so that was the teachers that were the direct influence to yb of course everybody claimed that and then had their unique stories of when yb told them this but i want you to know that there was an actual purposeful marketing message that kri chose to create a mythology around the legacy teachers in this way so people really quite did have fantastical followings because people wanted to be with certain special teachers yes Yes, thank you for clarifying. I mean, that's what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. But so I felt like I could still go to the Hari Jiwan classes and workshops, and I was. But they were starting to get a little weird. (laughs) And I was friends with a lot of second gen uh, people who were still part of the 3HO world at that point. And, And they were saying, his classes are weird. What he's doing is strange. Their culture is weird. And and I, I, and I wasn't fully resonating with it. And there was a dissonance. I would sit in the classes and I'd be like, huh, I wouldn't 
say that if I was teaching, because I, at the time I was teaching and, and I wouldn't be doing this. And I don't like this guy's out on his own trip, basically. And I didn't realize it at the time, but yeah, he was kind of developing his own. He was, he was finding avenues to make it his own. And so they could branch off and do their own thing, break off and and not pay a cut to KRI. I mean, let's frankly look at it from a business perspective, right? He's he's having longtime foreshadowings of the plan to break out because he had already been creating the loyalty and le- direct loyalty to him. He's already started to marry off people and kind of create the following to him. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. And excuse me. And also he had like a cash model. Like he was actually encouraging students to come and pay cash. <laughs> Go <laughs> I mean- figure. Go figure. So, and, and, and encouraging students to come to the teacher's trainings who were not signed up as teacher trainees, because then there's more people there and it's more of a buzz and it's more of a thing. And, you know, somebody is going to bring their crystals to sell, or somebody's going to bring extra Prashad to, you know, the more people, the more community, the, the merrier. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but it was everybody come pay what you can in cash and, and you, and we're making money off of this thing that we're already running, but we're not giving any cut of any of these other little side, you know, incomes to KRI because they're not registered as students with this teacher training at this, you know. Wow. Yeah. So it was what a it was, racket. Yeah. It was just a business thing. So I'm like starting to resonate less and less and less with the, with the hard you want thing, but I'm still at this point, very heavily involved with white tantric yoga. So what that looked like for me was doing the marketing and the registration and a little bit of admin kind of stuff with white tantric yoga LA. And there were two of those a year. And then also being a manager, whether the lead manager, or the assistant manager at the solstices. So winter and summer solstice for the SSS cabin. The reason I bring this up is because this is like on a whole nother level of quote unquote Seva. I don't know about other aspects of work exchange at the solstices, but the SSS cabin was very demanding. Tell us about it, because those of us that left young, we have no idea that the SSS cabin would continue after he's dead. Like, what? who was there? So this was the tantric facilitators. These were the secretaries. And there was still a culture around it of they are, they're the ultimate. These, these are the representation of Yogi Bhajan of the Mahan Tantric at this point. These are who is channeling the Mahan Tantric. Therefore, you need to set the stage, literally, set up the house, clean the house, prepare for the Mahan Tantric. And what that looked like was seva from 6 a.m. to midnight every single day. Oh my God. But this is the ultimate seva because you're serving the Mahan Tantric. And not only that, you're therefore holding space indirectly for the however many thousand or thousands of people are doing the white tantric yoga on those three days of white tantric yoga. Y'all hear this? Holding space, the ultimate seva, because you're holding space for the people who are channeling in the Mahan Tantric and the subtle energy of why be the predator. And I didn't know at the time that these were women who had 
been, you know, had been sexually abused by him. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> of course you didn't. How would you know? But meanwhile, I want everyone to hear the ethos and the mythology built up around them, the ones holding the space, right? Keep going. Keep giving it to us. So when I was being trained for this tantric seva, I remember that Tej told me, so the tantric facilitators were traditionally, they all had to be women. It all has to be women. There's never a man. And these were women who were secretaries of Yogi Bhajan. And these were women who were not to be married. None of them were ever married. Interesting. I didn't really know what that meant at the time, but I was like, okay. But to me, it was kind of like, oh, these are nuns. <laughs> These are women who've taken, you know, a vow of chastity and, and poverty and service to, you know, serve the Mahan Tantric. What could be more beautiful? Wow. And also it was, you know, these, I could tell like, you know, cause these, these women would have stories about their time with Yogi Bhajan and oh my gosh, like, tell me, tell me, give me the download, you know, give me the, give me the juice. You know, I want to hear all about how Yogi Bhajan was and what that was like. And so it was a very special thing to be able to sit and talk with, to drive to and from the airport, these women, to be able to serve them. They're the embodiment of YB as far as what you've been trained to believe. And I yeah. want you to keep in mind there, you know, I don't know how the Trontric facilitators came about, but, you know, they began, you know, Simran, you know, ran it, right? And then there was also Narinian, and then that's the older Narinian, right? And then there was also um, Surya, right? And then um, there was also... Um, other people, but some of the ones I knew that also weren't married, say, were some poor in car, um, uh, maybe Mahan, Mahani, uh, Mahan Kiran. And then some of the ones that were married, that two that I could think of would be uh, Siriat Makar. And um, there's one other married person that would come. I don't remember soon. everybody. That but my point are, is, is the um, fact that Jules is bringing this up. And there's a mythology and an ethos around these women not being married and maybe one or two that got to come in because for whatever reason, someone brings them on too. And it's just such an interesting thing to listen to you talk about the SSC cabin and the, the privilege of being able to pick up the tantric facilitator, take care of them as if this person was the embodiment of YB for the day. And that's really how the white tantrics went on. Like these women oh so, uh, another one siri simran so siri simran car also was married but yb had married her and then it, maybe at the time she was already divorced but the point is, is each of these women would go up there and tell very personal stories about their relationship with yb obviously not that they were in a sex harem but um other things that really created an angelic feeling around these beautiful women wearing the chunis and remember the story of how Jules wants to wear a turban and a chuni. So it's like all these layers of the mythology of why this is the ultimate personification of excellent devotion to the teachings. And when I came in and, and spent a month in Española in 2012, mind you, right, like within, you know, just after a year into being involved with the, the whole the whole thing, there was a first gen in Española who said to me, gosh, you look so much like Premka. <laughs> Whoa! Isn't that and I've had a lot of people say that to me, like there's a, a similarity. I, I don't know that we necessarily look alike, but I can see how maybe there's a resemblance. But then she said, 
Yogi Bhajan would have told you to quit your acting career. And I'm listening. And she says, Yogi Bhajan would have made you one of his secretaries. Who said this to you? It was a first generation lady who had kind of left the community, but was still peripherally involved just because she had family at that point who was still involved. And this was in New Mexico. Interesting. And, you know, I kind of took note of that, but I also was like, I could have been a secretary. I could have been serving Yogi Bhajan. <laughs> you know, that this was something that you aspire to. Oh my God, me. And the, then when, the I, one? yeah. And then when I was doing this tantric seva, that's how I felt. Yeah. You know, that's truly how I felt. I felt, you know, this is the closest thing I could be to have been one of Yogi Bhajan's secretaries. Yeah. And yeah. I had a, a vision or, a, you know, kind of like a visceral experience. I was meditating at the side of the tantric stage during a Kriya one time, holding space for the facilitator who was holding space for, you know, supposedly the whole tantric meditation. And I didn't know, I didn't know that this was a thing he did. I just didn't know. I hadn't watched all the videos and I wasn't part of it or anything, but I felt Yogi Bhajan come behind me and put his hand on my shoulder. And he said to me, you're doing such a great job. Oh and so then I, I actually told uh, one of the tantric facilitators that later, and she was like, oh my gosh, that's weird because he used to do that. And so I was like, oh my God, what are the synchronicity? Like, wow, <laughs> you know, like, okay, I'm doing such a great job. Like I'm doing so great, you know? And there was constantly that pull through, like you're, you're doing so great. You're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. <sighs> But meanwhile, something just still always felt off. Hmm. And that's when, and like I said, in 2016, I was managing the SSS cabin. Mind you, one thing that kept happening is we were losing Savadars. It was always really difficult to get people to want to do the SSS Sava. I mean, I wonder why. <laughs> What, you don't want to like serve and dote on these older ladies hand and foot, you know, like what, 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 why, why wouldn't you want to do that? You know? Um, but anyway, so I, I had a panic attack on the second day. So the middle day of the, the tantric, the three days of tantric. And it was, it was, I thought at the time it was because the pressure, the, the, what I was doing was just too much. I wasn't sleeping. I was getting a couple hours of sleep at best. You know, we're camping in Florida, you know, the bugs, the elements, everything. You're not sleeping. And I'm working from 6 a.m. to midnight and everything has to be perfect. And, you know, there's all this pressure on. And, and yeah, I just snapped. I just, I just broke down. I remember going into the admin trailers, whatever, and, and saying, to the people at the time who were kind of there, you know, at the desk, because there was always somebody there to greet you, you know, if you had an issue with, so these are 3HO staff mostly, you know, the, the event staff, admin, they called it. And I remember going in and being like, listen, I'm not getting paid to do this. I'm having a recognition that I'm working all these hours and busting myself and working so hard for this, for everybody, for everybody's experience, you know? I'm not getting paid. You're getting paid because you work for 3HO. I'm not getting paid. In fact, I had to pay to be here. You know, yes, it was a lower exchange rate because I'm a manager, but what the heck? This doesn't seem right. You know, I had a breakdown moment. <laughs> I probably wasn't as animated as that because, you know, within, within the system, you know, emotion is commotion. So you have to be so neutral. 
<laughs> but inside I was, I was really having a tough time. And then, you know, exactly as I sort of figured everything out moving into 2017 and, and then 2018, I just, I was unable to, I was unable to do this anymore. Um, but I, but a little bit more about the white tantric, you know, Sut Simran was obviously very involved with Yogi Bhajan and, and in a personal way as well, an intimate sexual way as well. And so the original tantric facilitators were other secretaries, other women who were having sex with Yogi Bhajan. But at that and, time, you don't know that about Sassimra. Like you haven't heard that from her directly, right? You, you're just saying you no, heard the grapevine or you've heard it since 2020. Like what do you, what do you- I heard, well, I figured it out in 2018, but I will say because that- Because of the person who had come up to you? Yes. And the conversations you had with other secretaries? Yes, exactly. I, and I pieced it together. But um, I remember, you know, probably in 2016, having conversations with Sassimra and, and her saying like, you know, because we were talking about dating. And, um, you know, at the time I was still trying to date women because I thought that that's what I was, I thought I was gay. I thought, you know, this is my destiny. <laughs> I'm a lesbian. Wow. And um, <laughs> wow. it wasn't really working out. And, and now I know why, because I don't think, I mean, it's not that I can't date women, but I think that I personally, me and my path, I'm more attracted to men. And that's what I, that's what I'm into. But, you know, I was still kind of trying to figure that out. <laughs> And um, anyway, and, and having all that guilt and shame around it. But so I, I, you know, I'm telling her like, you know, I've been dating women, I'm opening up to her. And so she kind of opens up to me. And I remember her saying like, yeah, you know, I want to date. I just, and then I said to her, I said, you haven't been able to date since Yogi Bhajan. She stopped, you know, she was like, you know, and, and I noticed that there was kind of a like a jump, like a pause with her. Like, what do you know? You know, but all I, I mean, at the time I didn't really get it, but I was like, yeah, you know, you gave your whole life to Yogi Bhajan. That must be so hard. I mean, you know, you were just a secretary. And so you really never like were out there in the pool. You know, that's kind of like what I was thinking, but, but she paused, you know, <laughs> and I, and I took note of that. I was like, huh, that was a funny reaction to have, you know? And then we just sort of went on from there. You know, it was just sort of swept aside and not acknowledged. But she actually hired me on to work for Health and Humanology, which is the organization that owns white tantric yoga. You know, I, I do have to hand it to her in the, it must've been what, the 80s, the 90s. You know, she at some point was like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of what I'm doing. You know, I'm getting older. You know, here I am in this harem he's not even having sex with me anymore whatever you know whatever she did to get the white the tantric to you know here's my idea you know almost like a blackmail sense who knows what the actual blackmail was you know how she did it how she worded it whatever but it was like you give me the tantric this is going to be my business i need something if i'm no longer going to be your secretary you know you're no longer having sex with me i'm no longer give me something. Otherwise I'm going to tell everybody, you know, whatever she did. I don't know how she did it, but she did it. And, and like, good for her, you know? So she, what you're saying is this is just kind of your conjecture, yes. but you know, that that entity became hers at some point that he allowed it to be her jurisdiction, her domain, her business. That's, what yeah, that's so what you don't know how that happened, but somehow she negotiated that with him. Yes. And like, good for her, you know, like she, that was her way to like make a life for herself and, and have, have an income, have a business, you know, after however many years of serving him, you know, 
And so then from there, you know, she just had control and domain over this enterprise and it rakes in hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. You know, the margins maybe aren't that great because I, you know, I, I was in it. I saw, I saw how much money got made off each attendee versus what the cost to rent the space, get the food, get the facility, you know, all the, everything, the, the sound uh, team and all that. So, you know, the margins weren't huge, but each event does bring in, you know, a good amount of money. And then, you know, she, well, she had one nice of the food. largest expenses of it, as far as I know, because I remember being a part of a local um, ashram that was hosting a white tantric. I learned that the cost of the facilitator and their salary is actually one of the highest expenses of a local area having a, a local white tantric. Um, I don't know about that. We didn't pay for the facilitator. Um, the, their airfare would be paid for through health and humanology. So, you know, like that, that is an expense that goes back in. Do you see what I'm saying? But there's no actual salary for the facilitator. As far as I know, they just get, you know, their airfare is covered and obviously their housing and food and everything is covered. So they're doing a save us still themselves, but it, it is covered by health and humanology. Um, yeah, my understanding of that was that that it was Seva, it might have been Seva at solstices, but that that wasn't necessarily the case for the local organization, the local ashrams that had to, that wanted to host them. It was a very high expense for a lot of places to do it that wouldn't often make any money. I don't know how it ran in LA. And, and I'm curious if that was local run or if there were guidelines that white tantric yoga. Yeah, so there were forms, areas. there was like forms that we had to fill out. And on the form, it was you know, there were different categories. So, you know, if you're a senior that pays this amount to do the tantric, if you're just a regular attendee, if you're a student, if you're doing, we also had a half day thing that we did in LA that we allowed for people, but you know, okay. So say, you know, the, the price that we have to pay to health and humanology is $108 per attendee. Got it. So you're saying, oh, got it. So per person, 108 went to health and humanology yes. and then the remainder went to the local uh, well, to what? So, if if our price was one hundred eighty dollars per person, so one hundred eighty minus one hundred and eight, okay, so that's what seventy two dollars. So that's seventy two dollars out of that, we have to pay, you know, however many twenty thousand dollars for to, to to rent the facility, this huge hall. We have to pay for the food. We have to pay for the rentals, the table rentals, the uh, the sound, whoever's running the sound booth, and then his equipment. So that's a couple thousand dollars, whatever. So, but that gets divvied up, you know, across. So maybe per head to actually put on this event, it's like, you know, $65 per person. So that's 72 minus 65. Okay. You've got $7 left. Wow. And like in that, like fudge sort of wiggle room, maybe, you know, we, we took some of that and put it back into the local Gurdwara ashram, but then, you know, mo that was supposed to go back to health and humanology, the, any excess, but, you know, we often would just kind of keep it as a, as, as a mini fundraiser because it wasn't huge, but so, you know, so, and then people are always complaining about how high the price was. Well, that's because per head per person, you know, all that money is going back to health and humanology. 108 per person. Okay. So that's where I was getting at that a large majority. Yeah. 108. Like if a cost was 160, right. Or whatever it was, 108 of every head was heading back to the health and humanology group. Got it. Yeah. So anyway, I said Simran and I kind of became a little bit closer. And, and again, I have a lot of respect for, her. I have to, I have to say, you know, given the system of control and as we understand it now and what she was in, 
you know, and if she listens to this, like, hi, Satsuma. <laughs> I hope she does. Got some respect for you. We love you. Uh, I just want you to, to know your that. story. Yeah, I know you haven't shared your story, but you know, we see you. <laughs> we, we see you. you. We want to know. Yeah. But, um, you know, and, and, and thank you, you know, for providing this space for us to meditate. However, I do think it was, you know, it was perpetuating everything else. So we do have to also recognize that, that it was kind of the hood ornament or the cornerstone of solstices. And then, you know, also just the, the teacher training, you can't graduate the teacher training without having done, you know, documentedly done a white tantric yoga. Yeah. So pause. This is key to know because in order for anybody to fulfill and get their teacher certificate, they have to go to white tantric yoga. So it's a built-in part of the system. That's like a cash cow because any student that's becoming a teacher automatically has to go to get their level one. And then once you're in the system, you're told you need to be going to tantra because it's a part of your, the elevation of your soul for Christ's sake. I mean, for guru's sake. But also it's, you know, it's, it's this sort of like centerpiece at the solstices. So there's this relationship between, you, know, you don't want to piss off Satsimran because then, you know, she's going to say, well, we're not going to have white tantric yoga at, at the 3HO event. Right. Ah, right. It's like a built-in mechanism of, of, um, and I believe she would, uh, cause I know she would go to the European yoga festival and I, that's where I got to um, experience white tantric again for the first time. Was mm. three years there. Um, and it was also touted the only places you get three days in a row is at the solstices or the European yoga festival. Otherwise you're only getting half day or day events in these different local areas. So it created this extra level of commitment once again, to attend the bigger thing, to be more a part of it. And white Tantra gets built into your everyday existence, just like going to solstice. Well, and one thing that Tej and Harjeevan, but Tej particularly was always touting was the tantric energy, the Z force, the blue light, the, the, the tantric. Z force. And <laughs> I mean, look, look, let's just, we know that if we meditate, there are biophysiological changes that do occur, you know, when we meditate, when we How do. How about much less if you stare into the eyes of another human person for hours at a time something yeah. physiological happens in you you don't have to even be in, you could be saying blah 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 you know it doesn't even matter but the fact that you know this level of intimacy you're sitting knee to knee next to other people i mean it's keep going it's but in a in a very very so it's there's all these 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 there's a very strong structure the rules the very strong structure of this so the lines, the geometry of it is, is real. We do have, you know, we have heat coming off of our bodies and there is, if you want to call it electromagnetism, I mean, just simply being like this dense form of matter, whatever, I'm just talking biophysics, but you know, there is something to being, as you say, knee to knee in these rows and a group together. Misery. But go ahead. No. <laughs> no, but what I want to point out is that <laughs> is that there once again, it's an ethos and a mythology where it's like, of course, you know, you can extract certain things of like, well, this helps with this and this is good. And yeah, of course, scientifically, we are electromagnetic field, you know, all these types of things. Right. But you put it into that setting. And it's, it's casting or wielding a dynamic that makes you just want to be part of it more, right? It amplifies the energy. 
Yeah. And we know that when a group gets together to meditate, it's a different experience. And when there's um, a commitment to sitting still and staying in it within the group, it becomes more kind of locked. It's a structure within which it's a scaffolding. It's, it's holding a, a space for an experience to happen. I mean, it just is, you know, and I feel like I'm probably talking in YB language again, a little yeah, bit. Right. It's all word salady, but I, I guess the point, I, I hear what you're saying, you know, it's like, it's a cool it, meditation. It's cool. I mean, well, it, I can see happens. why people think it's cool. I, you know, not all of us think it's necessarily cool, <laughs> but I see why people would get it. And, and I want to point out that I, again, I went to three days worth for three summers in a row in European yoga festival. One of the things I witnessed was that these women facilitators, again, very graceful, gorgeous, like the typical, you know, it's like the ones we idolized ones I've idolized most of my life. So that have been my sisters, older sisters, so witnessing them up there and, and, and even like having Satsimarin or Narinian, like there's a lot of nostalgia for me ever it brings back into the eighties. So I remember being in those tantric lines, but some of the things I would notice was where they would call people out, especially the older, you know, the, they're more the senior teachers, but they would call out like say young gens like me and it wasn't me, but somebody else that was like, hey, that turban's not appropriate. Your forehead is showing, your hairline is showing too much. Go ahead and go fix that, you know, and going on the energetic principles and how necessity has it that we have to follow it in this particular way. Oh, the line's a little crooked blah, 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 you know, and, and just ways of, of precision that, that really amplifies this mystical story that these women are on this stage, literally channeling the Mahan Tantric. And then they would, they would say what they're going to do, do what they do, then play YB and then interpret what YB is saying for them. So there ends up becoming this kind of like golden chain mystical thing happening between the facilitator, the YB video and what's transmitted into the room to the magical mystical group consciousness that's happening. In a very structured meditation, which is gonna provide some kind of uh, physical experience regardless. So, and we're all staring at these giant pictures, the giant mural or the giant projection onto the screen. We in LA actually had a, a projection screen of the that, you know, the traticum or some picture of Yogi Bhajan. So that's in every, you know, if you if you look outside of the meditation, like if your eye happens to wander, like what are you gonna see? Him. Okay, I better get back in. <laughs> Also, pause. I also want to note that at all these tantrics, they played this marketing video of, of <laughs> YB, uh, and and they had literally put together this gorgeous, incredible oh, video God. of all of these pictures throughout the day. I saw my dad in the seventies doing yoga in the field in one of them. Like, talk yeah. about nostalgia! And they're literally, and the facilitators are actually amplifying these stories of what a wonderful 
yes person this you know in all of the grandpa ways he was so funny he would run out and say in his kachetas yes. and go swim and you know and, and 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 they would show pictures of him half naked in a house turban <laughs> and then they would show another one on hit you know with president clinton and it was gorgeous with the overlay of bountiful blissful beautiful by by porter singer that they never asked her I for am her am own I rights am, i am i yeah. am yeah yeah and then her new version of the i am bountiful blissful beautiful that she rocked and again it's a marketing piece that really after meditating for the last hour and then on break you get to just the first thing you see yeah Yeah. and then again you're in a spaced out state and this is all you're being and then at the end of the tantric there'll be like if anybody wants to take omrit we'll be in the back (laughs) and you can come and take omrit with all the guru sikhs and blah, 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 blah. and so like literally it was quite palpable i was like wow why is there such a fascination and then all the young second gen and the punjabi sikhs running around in their nahung turbans looking like extra sikhi and like perfect pathish and i just remember thinking to myself like oh like why wouldn't these students go running to be nahung like who doesn't want to ultimately marry the second gen or a punjabi sikh so you could be the ultimate wife Go back and listen to episode 39, where homegirl literally got told that was the ultimate path, that she could be marrying a Punjabi Sikh, taking Amrit, and she hadn't even been in for a a year or something. I mean, it was nutty. Anyway. And and a lot of women did marry Punjabi Sikhs, and there were some, there was a a couple that I can think of that went off to India and did do the whole Nahang thing. I actually went to Hala Mahala in 2015, and I have some amazing photos of myself there with the Damala on and with all the young Nahangs. And again, it was really a cool experience for me, but it it didn't feel like it was my destiny. (laughs) And what I wanted to say is it's a form of fetishization. It totally was. So if you don't know, that's what it's called. It's called fetishizing brown people and other cultures. And it's so built into the 3HO spiritual Sikh Dharma, Sikhi Pathy marketing it's just, it, it's emoji in my mouth of, of pure puke to hear it, but <laughs> to know that you were in it. And this is the, this is how you, and you're resonating with what I'm saying. Cause I know this was exactly students would come up to me and be like, you think it's safe? I'm thinking to take over it. I'm like, huh? <laughs> Why? <laughs> and so I'm there at Hala Mahala and these Nahang guys are, you know, some of the, one of them had gotten some shastra that was like 400 years old and uh, they're sort of like leader, the leader of the group there. And, and they were they were camping. They were literally camping in tents. And somebody had given me this bunga, you know, this bungalow to stay in. And so I'm sleeping on the floor there. But it was the most comfortable. And we're out in the country, kind of like six kilometers outside of Anandpur Sab. I mean, it was a really cool experience, like anthropologically, I have to say. But, you know, here I am, this white woman. And they're like, oh, my gosh, she reads Kurmuki. She does Bonnie's. Like, she's a she's such a warrior. And look how she's dressed. And. So anyway, they they put together this whole presentation of this shastra for me, which was essentially like a very long sword, a very large kirpan that had come from some, you know, fabled warrior 400 years prior there on that very sacred land. And they presented to me with all this um, dasambani that I didn't even know. And, 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 and they were like, this is for you. And all I could think was, I only have a carry-on bag. There's no way I can take this on all my flights <laughs> going back to Los Angeles. So I was just like, 
I can't take this. I'm so sorry. Like I'll wear it today, but like, I, I can't take this giant sword with me back to LA. And they were like, so, I mean, they were, they were so confused and so devastated. And oh so, my God. You know, and then it, it was just, you know, a lot of them didn't even speak any English and, and it was, it was, um, <laughs> this is such a sad story to me. Um, I didn't mean to take you off of white tantric, but I, I just really wanted to point out some of the dynamics of what she's talking about being in white tantric and kind of, it's not her coming up with that this energy is so powerful. It's like, this is actually what's taught and a part of the dynamic of what is experienced at white tantric that hooks people to come back and be a part of something that's so magical. So I want to say- I'll wrap up with two sort of things that happened to me in 2018. So this is the end of my, you know, and, and the last, my last white tantric yoga experiences. My last two white tantric yoga experiences was spring white tantric LA 2018, and then December at the winter solstice, where I attended for two days of it. And that, at that point, it was more out of curiosity. <laughs> to kind of see, you know, how I felt about things at that point. But when I did the one in Los Angeles that spring, you know, it was always either the last week of March or the first week of April. I'm, I'm there in the tantric and I'm meditating, you know, with the man who was my partner at the time. And it was so clear to me. It was just so loud and clear. I was getting the message. We're in the meditation the message I was getting intuitively, whatever you want to call it, was there is no Mahan Tantric like you think. The Mahan Tantric is us. We are the Mahan Tantric. Everybody here who is participating in this experience and projecting this idea of this thought form of the Mahan Tantric, of this Tantric force, of this thing, of this power, everybody who's participating in this, believing in this, being a part of this experience, that is what's creating what you're experiencing right now. And so therefore all of us are the Mahan Tantric. It's you, it's the guy next to you. It's the guy you're meditating with. Like we're literally agreeing upon in this collective reality, the Mahan Tantric and the Tantric energy. And that was so clear to me. And mm. I wasn't really able to explain that to people in the community at the time because they were like, you crazy girl, what are you talking about? That's not, you know, there's Yogi Budget Mahan Tantric and we haven't seen the next Mahan Tantric yet. You know, maybe somebody will step in. There's some secret mythology about, you know, Satsimran knows who the next Mahan Tantric is and all That's of that. Say? That's what people say? She has special instructions uh, to know That's what she, how- she says? Yes, she has special instructions that were given her by Yogi Bhajan for how to determine who the next Mahan Tantric is, supposedly. Oh, Lord, Sat Simran, come forward and tell us the story. Yeah, yeah, we want to it. hear the special formula for the next Mahan Tantric. <laughs> Enlighten yeah. us. And I still want to come visit you in Greece, Sat Simran. It looks really beautiful. That's kind of cool that you're living in that. But anyway, <laughs> um, so I got that message just so loud and clear. And then I didn't go to summer solstice because I, the bubble had been popped for me and it was just that it wasn't going to happen at that point. And 
I had to leave LA because in the unveiling and the popping of the bubble and the understanding of everything, my whole reality was completely shattered. You know, meaning you had already met on the way to solstice. You had met that one uh, in 2016. That was yeah. 2016. So then, this is by 2018. You didn't go. Where to I had read Pamela's manuscript, where I had yeah. heard all these stories firsthand about how Hari Jiwan and his inner circle worked from the man I had been having uh, a romantic relationship with, and I realized just, I realized I was in a cult. Yeah. I realized I was in a cult and I, and I started doing cult research and I started listening to cult podcasts. And I, that was when I reached, uh, I had reached out to Rachel Bernstein in 2017. Cause I was like, I think I might be in a cult, but now I was like, fuck, pardon my French, but I, I have spent the last, however, seven and a half years of my life in a cult. And wow. so I, I well recognized it by that point. And my, all my existence in Los Angeles up to then, you know, aside from a small amount of time percentage, like I said, was still devoted to being in the acting and modeling kind of thing. Everything I was doing was 3HO related and I, I had to get out. I had to leave it. I just couldn't, I couldn't be in that apartment on those streets um, even in my car drive in none of it. I, it was just too, I had to, I had to start something new. Wow. And uh, my parents were living here in San Diego and they were like, yeah, come live with us, you know? And so that was the beginning of my, you know, starting, starting again. And I knew I needed a lot of therapy. So I, you know, immediately got a therapist through my insurance and, I was doing, like I said, a lot of reading and, and, and listening to podcasts about cults and systems of control and, and unraveling and trying to understand everything and reflecting on it. And to be honest, for me and everybody's process is going to be look, looking different. I was still working a couple of days a week teaching yoga in Los Angeles. I was driving up and actually teaching and then driving back, which was wow. bonkers that I was doing that. that. It was bonkers. But other than that, I was doing some acting work on the side, but I, I wasn't really working. I wasn't doing much. I, most of my day was spent in bed reading and crying and crying and crying and crying. There was an awful lot of grief. And it was, it was, what hit me was not only the grief of, as I mentioned before, the years lost, but it was all of the stuff that that brought me in in the first place in 2011, sort of the unprocessed grief, the unprocessed trauma of my life up to that point. But everything that I had been bypassing by just getting high and only focusing on the positive and the love and light and holding hands and swaying back and forth and singing Satnam Waheguru and everything, it, it just all of that before. And then all of that, that I had not been addressing during that time, you know, it, the, the huge wave came and slammed down on me mm. and it was, it was heavy and, and it was, it was a lot, but I also recognized that I needed to start feeling it and actually start processing it and, and was working with the therapist to, to kind of start teasing apart everything and unpacking it. And, Mm -hmm. It was a whole process. So last thing I'll say, I went to the winter solstice 2018 and did two days of the white tantric there. And, and, and again, I was kind of a tourist at this point, like, let's, let's just see what this feels like, you know, putting the costume back on, which was kind of like, wow, here I am still. Okay. This very, the turban that's so 
tight that I'm actually getting a headache, but it's like, you know, it's loose around this part, the solar center, whatever the 10th gate. So I'm feeling like, okay, you know, I must be getting, I must be getting, you know, all the downloads through my 10th gate, even though I like have a headache around my temporal region. Cause the damn thing is tied so tight around here, the way, the way we do, our, <laughs> especially once you get that like silk chuny wet and like tie it on and everything. Like, I mean, it's, it's on there. You're, you're strapped in. <laughs> um, so I'm sitting there, I'm meditating and I had started to do other meditations at this point. What really was resonating with me was just sit like a Vipassana style, maybe focus on your breath, listening to the sounds around you, just silent meditation, old school, being in your body, meditating, being in the present moment and just kind of being, noticing. sitting, noticing. noticing. And so I had been doing more and more of that. And the experience of the white Tantra and then Tantric yoga, whatever. And then when I really noticed it was on the breaks in between the Kriyas, how rowdy and loud and sort of um, what I was recognizing was that this form of yoga, this Kriya yoga that Yogi Bhajan taught is and he would say, you know, this is to burn, this is to clear, this is tapas, whatever. But it was very, you know, kind of vata pitta, if you want to talk Ayurveda, but it was very, it was, it was energizing and up and very almost discombobulating. It wasn't about actually sitting in, being present, observing, which is a very, very, very different kind of meditation. And so I'm sitting in the white tantric and, and now I'm used to more like this observing sitting still kind of in consciousness, whatever you want to call it that way. But everybody is, you know, like HUD, HUD, you know, and it's so loud and it's so fiery and it's so young. And so, and it, it just, it was overwhelming for me. And I was like, I don't resonate anymore with this very all over the place, very fiery style of yoga and meditation. And, and, and I, and I understood and recognized that and what that's doing to the participants who are participating mm. in it. Mm. Mm. So well said. I mean, there's just so many gold nuggets, gems, and just, just pure layers of diamonds that you just pulled out from this episode today. And the the impact, right? The first of all, the the young, the overdominant and the masculine, the men being trained into women and men, sorry, the women being trained into men and the men being emasculated, the, you know, all these things that create this this busy, active, addictive energy, right? This uplifted. I mean, there's just oof, there's so much here. So much. And, and I want to say, you know, to everybody who I knew in the community who might be hearing this, who knew me, none of this is to say that I didn't genuinely and still do have a love for you. I mean, we connected as people and you are still my best friends to this day. And we went through a lot together. Maybe it was a trauma bond, but we shared and we connected as people who may not have connected otherwise. And 
that's really cool. And I'm so grateful I got to learn so much about Punjabi culture and the actual Sikh religion as a religion, as a, as a, as a form of spirituality. I think it's so beautiful. And I learned so much. I mean, I learned Gurmukhi and all of these traditions and a lot about history and culture and there's, there's just a lot that was actually really cool and really good. And I do want to recognize and acknowledge that aside from the other kind of trauma that I experienced. Thank you for that too. And I also want to put it out to all listeners that the, the phases of deprogramming are real, right? She talked about just experiencing like just this heaviness of grief, right? It wasn't just the grief of the recognition of the cult itself, but it's the grief of the compounding interests of the stuff that wasn't dealt with prior to joining. And this is very cult informed. If you listen to any cult experts, they talk about you don't get to, you know, really heal and find your essential self until you revisit some of the issues that you had before you entered into the cult. And so I found that such a beautiful part of understanding our phases and stages. And I could really relate to you, Jules, in that I went through a heavy several years worth of grief. And then I went in through a phase where I couldn't practice anymore. And I had already been being guided not to teach. So, you know, it started 2012, 13, I'm, I'm grieving. And then 2014, 15, 16, I'm teaching, but then I got clear messages, stop teaching and stop practicing. And I didn't understand that, you know, because I'm so wound in and the feeling, what you described about moving into the stage of learning to start noticing and paying attention to your body very differently. Unlearning is very different than learning. There can be really wonderful practices that are infused into the daily disciplines that we learned, but they're also infused or enmeshed with predatory, abusive, shame-based practices. And so to actually start to pull them apart and distill takes time because we actually have to be willing to give ourselves space to feel and be with sensations that we've been trained out of and that we've been made to feel wrong for having. And so the complexity of that and the voices that show up in your head, the self-tyranny that's actually teachers that have been implanted into your psyche. These things are a real untangle. And Jules, you talked about your process. And all I'm doing here is for all of us to really understand, if you read the book Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving, you'll, you'll be able to start tracking some of the ways that you can be with stages of you stages of you and, and what real what deprogramming is really about because we have to be away from systems for us to actually learn to locate ourselves again Whew. and his first book by the way the cptsd book it's called the Tao of fully feeling and so that's what made me remind reminded me of it was when you said you went from the stage of just pure grief and just complete collapse to into stages of learning to feel and notice and just be still and then there's next phases and there's next phases. And I'm not trying to tell you where you're at in your journey or any of us listening, but we have to become better at, at giving ourselves more spaciousness to feel compounded things that are stuck in us that we've been trained out of possibly since birth. Amen, sister. Papa, y'all. Thank you for listening. I know we just went power packed here and we got some of the juiciest details that I just really appreciate. What, it's, what it says to me, Jules, is your capacity to reflect, to, to, to share your process both vulnerably, but also very poignantly. Um, and, and you're part of the entanglement um, 
because we actually can't detangle it until we get to begin to see what pulled us in, what kind of, what create, what helped us crave these experiences and keeps us stuck there. This stuff is real. There's not a, so much a right and wrong or a good or bad. It's so much more like, whoa, this is one big messy mess. And how did I get all up in it? So you illuminated it so well. Thank you for bringing us some nine treasures and Hari G1. Tej specifics, even some Golden Bridge specifics, the SSSC cabin specifics. SSS, not C. Yeah, exactly. The SSS cabin. It's that cabin that was, you know, devoted for him, you know, right at the solstice tantric sent that the solstice site. I didn't even know it still existed until I heard about students like you because I hadn't been back to solstice since I was 16. Oh, I got pictures. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I know. I started noticing it from my own yoga students that came back all goo goo gaga about having gone to solstice and suddenly they were getting tattoos on their body called Satnam and stuff. And I'm like, yo, you can, you know, journal, journal, everybody. Um, <laughs> thank you, Jules. Thank you, listeners. This has been another episode of the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. Um, once again, if you want to donate to this broadcast and to support this work, please go to gurunishan.com slash uncomfortable conversations, and you can make it one time or ongoing donation. Um, thank you again. And if you want to uh, be telling your story with me or have a conversation, send me an email at gn at gurunishan.com. Thanks so much. Please like, share, subscribe, and review this episode and share it with a friend. Talk to you soon. <laughs>